Welcome into the NFL on Fox podcast presented by Verizon. I'm Dave Hellman, and it never fails always in this industry. The minute you try to take a beat and catch your breath, all hell breaks loose. That is what happened since the last time we've recorded a show. Some of it expected, some of it not so much. Obviously, we've been alluding to it for weeks. The NFL trade deadline has passed. Halloween saw plenty of comings and goings. We'll get to all of that. But just in case that wasn't enough, just in case half a dozen players changing teams on Tuesday wasn't enough, we've got our first regime change in the NFL this season. One of the more shocking ones I can remember late on Tuesday night, even late by West Coast standards, the Las Vegas Raiders part ways with their head coach, Josh McDaniels. If that wasn't crazy enough, they throw in general manager Dave Ziegler for good measure. Like I said, it, a, a a shocking turn of events considering we're just now at the turning point of the season. We just now got past Halloween and the coach and the general manager, truly surprising stuff, even for a team that was off to as rough of a start as the Raiders. Felt weird not to catch up on it immediately. I apologize for that. But fortunately, it's, it is good timing in the sense that we had a chance to talk to our good buddy, NFL insider Peter Schrager, about it. That is the theme of this week's cheat sheet. It is presented to you by Honda. As always, had a chance to sit down with Peter, not just talk about the, hire, the firings in Las Vegas, but also a busy trade deadline. Check that out. All right, Peter, for week nine, I'm going to you're I feel like you're really good at this. So what I'm going to do for you is I'm going to try to set the scene. So it's Halloween night. Uh, You know, you have you have kids. So I'm sure, you know, you're preoccupied with trick or treating and the joy of the holiday. It was a busy trade deadline. You have a very entertaining morning show on the East Coast of the United States. Like the hay is in the barn. You're going to yep. talk Chase. You're going to talk Chase Young. You're going to talk. We've got our sweat. topics. We're good. You got the rundowns ready to go. You're we got Josh good. Dobbs talk ready to go. Yeah. <laughs> you settle in for, you know, for a nice sleep before your your you said 430 in the morning, 430 a.m. Eastern wake up. Yep. Then comes uh, the bombshell of all bombshells right in, in the middle of that very nicely packaged plan. The Raiders don't just fire Josh McDaniels. They fire GM Dave Ziegler as well, which I mean, it's a little early for a head coach firing, but that happens. The midseason GM firing takes it to an entire other level. And if that wasn't enough, a few hours later, uh, the Raiders confirm they're throwing their offensive coordinator out yeah. as well. So uh, I think I set it up pretty well for you between. You but you, between... you left you left some key details out. Oh, there, and that's that's why I come to you. So please, please fill me in and, and give me the reaction as a guy living in New York, how you handle a 1 a.m. news drop like that. Dear diary, um, to set this, the table a little bit for a personal standpoint. We dress up for Good Morning Football on Halloween, and three months ago, I decided I wanted to be Al Davis for Halloween. Oh, God. I have a white turtleneck. I've got pinky rings. I've got the the hair department at Good Morning Football. My dear friend, Ashley, she's working on this quaff, but with the long slick. I hadn't cut my hair in a couple of weeks to make sure I could have it. Got the white satin, the white pants. I feel like Uncle Paulie from Sopranos, except I'm just wearing football stuff. Like I'm greased out. I feel amazing. We do an entire show of Good Morning Football. Now on Monday night, they laid the ultimate egg. I got so many tweets, and I don't always live on social media checking anything, but I've got thousands of tweets, Dave, being like, great costume. Can you come back from the dead and fire Josh McDaniels? People pleading with me. Can you do a seance? You're embodying Al. Can you please knock some sense into your son and fire Josh? Raiders fans came out from every corner of the earth to tweet me, to tell me, Peter Schrager with no connection to the Raiders, dressing in a costume that I planned in September, to fire Josh McDaniel. So that was all my day yesterday. Fire Josh McDaniel. my entire Twitter feed. Okay. I go and not only do we do the show in full makeup, I I do a podcast of my own. We then go trick-or-treating. There's a parade at my kid's school followed by trick-or-treating around our Brooklyn Heights neighborhood. I'm wearing uh, a costume that's a hamburger. He's a slice of pizza. So tired. We go through the candy. Dude, it's 10 o'clock. I fall asleep with like my shoes on. 
I'm so tired. <laughs> You've had those tired days where you're just oh, yeah, like, for sure. I, this, this has been nonstop. No game on at night. No flight to catch. Just get one night of decent sleep. At 1 a.m., the phone starts buzzing next to my bed. And my wife and I have had drag them out fights over keeping the phone next to the bed because that is just not good for mental health. I end up searching Twitter. I'm reading about uh, the Middle East at one in the morning, and it's like not good for anyone's mental health. Been there. Been there. Put, yeah. it, put it in the put it in the bathroom. Put it somewhere else. You don't need to sleep next to your phone. But yes, I do, just in case. Just in case. Just in case what? Just in case there's a breaking news story. Okay, and then what? Like, what are you going to do? So I get to the phone and it's a source. You know, you got those like couple guys in each building. Hey, shit's going down out here. I think Josh is being fired or already has been fired. I'm not going to reveal the source. And I'm like, oh my God, what what do I do with this? This is a scoop of a lifetime. It's major and in-season fire. No, I didn't have Ziggler. I didn't have... Mick Lombardi. I didn't have any of that. I just had that Josh, and it didn't come from Josh, obviously. So I'm like, okay, going through my reporter skills, half awake, I creep out of the bed. I I go into the living room. I've got my phone. I'm like, I have to, I mean, this is a major scoop. This is like, you know, Woj had a 1 a.m. thing about Harden being traded. Like, this is what we do. Two nights in a row, by the way. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, This is what we do, bro. Like, and, you know, Yes, Schefter and Rappaport and Pelissero and Garofolo, they live that life on like an hour to hour basis and they're insiders and I'm more of a hybrid and I get it. But, you know, if you get one like this, it's a good one. Now, I'm like, what do I do? Okay, so I never would just go with one and just tweet it out. I start texting people within the organization that I know. I send a couple other texts, people in other organizations, nothing, one minute, two minutes, three minutes. And then about five minutes in, my phone starts lighting up, but not from those people, but from other people around the league. Like, did you see this? See this? The Raiders had put out an official statement and they announced they were letting go of Josh McDowell. And as much as I was upset that I didn't get the scoop, and as much as I was upset that I couldn't get that second source to go with it, I was also sort of relieved, Dave, if I'm being honest. I'm like, all right, no one's contending the Raiders announcing it. Go back to bed. Three hours later, I wake up. I start catching up on everything. I answer a bunch of texts. And by 7 a.m. Eastern, I was dialed in and had all sorts of new information to report. But I didn't get the scoop of a lifetime. And it was a long, drawn-out story. But a lot of people do find this stuff interesting. Uh, I was aware. I just didn't report it. Hey, like I said, I mean, look, maybe, you know, maybe this is a flaw of mine as a reporter. But 1 o'clock in the morning... kids and wife are asleep like in the next room like i'm i'm more than happy to put the phone down and let uh let twitter have that that's you know i'm out here on the west coast and my my first thought before i really got too deep into it with the raiders was oh all these poor bastards out on the east coast there you go no 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 well i felt better i felt better when i woke up at 4 30 a.m and i checked uh you know like rapaport and Schefter's twitter site maybe Schefter had it but like i think rapaport tweeted like overnight this happened i'm like all right good i'm not alone all right right, right, yeah all right so aside from the inside baseball aspect of this which i deeply enjoy talking about anyway but very real world ramifications here Actually, one more thing I want to touch on, and I don't I don't want to stroke your ego too much, but did you consider did you consider the possibility? I've worked in NFL buildings, I've been in many of them. Those TV shows are on all the time in NFL buildings. Is there a possibility that Mark Davis saw you dressed like his dad on Halloween and was like, you know what? Yeah. Yeah, this this is something that needs. I mean, I can't rule that out completely. Uh, I'm not saying no. I will also say the fact that their offense didn't score 20 points in a game this season might have played a role. I would also say the way they embarrassed themselves on Monday night played a role. I'd also say this. This is kind of interesting. So, Mark Davis, not like every other owner, in that you know every team's different, every building's different. But you know, Davis, there's not a lot of people that are like known as like Davis whispers and whatnot. I think he kind of operates to a beat of his own drum and kind of operates on his own a little bit. Um, When the Las Vegas aces won that WNBA championship, they had a parade and there was a strong faction of people who showed up for the parade and Davis had to confront multiple people with giant fire Josh McDaniel signs. Like Raiders fans took that moment. Like, okay, there's Davis. He's going to be at this thing. It might be lightly attended uh, in certain like pockets of the crowd. 
And there was a flood of people who showed up with fire Josh McDaniel signs at the Las Vegas Aces celebration. I wonder if that played a role. And it was like, gosh, I also think, and you're asking about, you know, more of the serious stuff. You know, they've got really high priced players, and a lot of them don't seem too happy. And a couple of them, Josh Jacobs and Devontae Adams, have been very vocal. And if they haven't vocally said, I'm against Josh McDaniels, or they've said things about their own play, how they want, I think Jacobs' comment was like, I don't do the offense. And I think Devontae Adams' comment was like, I need more touches, more or less. I'm summing it up. And I think immediately in the, in the media, and what we do, is we say, well, that's not cool. Those guys are speaking out of school and you know they're going to be traded and all this stuff. So they don't get traded. And of course, Jacobs can't be traded. He's on the franchise tag, whatever. But they don't get cut. They don't get traded. And the trading deadline passes. And then McDaniels and Ziggler get fired. And from what we're hearing on the postscript is that Mark Davis started talking to the players quite a bit. And in this instance, maybe the player's opinion, more than the coach and GM who are typically going to say, well, here's what the story is. And the owner wants to hear that from them because he he's hiring them to do that. I think the player's voices were heard. And to a man, I will tell you this, Josh McDaniels is really well-liked in the building as a person, all that stuff. Um, it is some record, it has to be, in the second year of two different giant contracts as a head coach he was fired mid-season some guys just aren't meant to be head coaches i i don't know if he gets a third shot and yet he has six it's super bowl rings at home he has yeah. six super bowl rings at home and he is universally respected for his offensive mind and universally liked i work with edelman i work with gronk i've worked i work with jason mccourty i've worked with a lot of patriots guys and i've got relationships with several patriots coaches no one has a bad word to say about josh mcdaniels the guy I, I don't know if he was meant to be a head coach. I mean, at this point, I don't think you can argue it. And and as a head coach in the NFL, and don't forget backing out of a, a deal with the Colts before it even really got started, I can't imagine a world where a team would would take a third shot. I And I mean, yeah, sure. If, if he I, wants to work in the NFL, he absolutely can as an offensive coordinator, as a quarterback's coach, as an analyst, whatever he wants to do. But it's hard to imagine another head job after this one. Yeah. And that's that's not even the conversation at the moment. The one it's just I mean, his contract is anywhere between and it's not reported um, or like the lead doesn't have it. it's anywhere between four years to six years guaranteed. I heard six. And then I heard someone today say, well, it's really four. They can get out of it after two. But to say it's four years guaranteed, he's got two and a half more years of millions and millions and millions of dollars to not coach the Raiders. And that's the second time in his career he's had that happen. Honestly, my dream in life. You can say I'm not ambitious if you want, but... <laughs> Stop. Don't wish that upon yourself. Trust no, me. I, if no, you're nothing... sitting there, you're going to be staring out into whatever mansion you have, staring to the wall and questioning your self-worth if you're not working. Trust me. Uh, I mean, I, I, we we can all look. Cliff Kingsbury went and found a job at USC. Like you can always find work, but the monthly payments of six figures, especially sound, someone that fired you, it feels kind of nice yeah, to cash those checks. They don't sound that bad. All right, and you know, we'll we'll see how. I mean, I'll bet you fifty dollars right now. Josh McDaniels is coaching in the NFL by next season. That that part's easy, but. Where I mean, the Raiders are a hard team to nail down in terms of where they go from here. Like the talk for people were talking about McDaniel's job security as early as last year. But the you know, the pushback was kind of, well, the Raiders aren't a very liquid franchise like they're not going to buy out a, a guy's contract that early into it. Well, lo and behold, they do it. Also, their roster is in a weird spot. Devontae Adams is a guy that wants to win now. Josh Jacobs isn't under contract. Max Crosby is in the middle of a big deal. He wants to win now. Like a rebuild, a, a total rebuild seems like it would be hard to do unless you're willing to just ship everybody out of town, but they don't seem like they're close to contending. I'm I'm curious to see where it goes from here with the Raiders. Well, when they fired Gruden. Bisace took over and had this incredible run and they go to the playoffs and they lose a game where, you know, the call goes here or there or car finishes the drive. Maybe they win the playoff game, but then they decide to blow the whole thing up after that playoff loss to Cincinnati. And I think they took two steps backwards. They brought in all these Patriots people thinking that they could rebuild the Patriots. And then this past offseason, go and get Garoppolo. I don't know if they're better off with Derek Carr and Rich Bisaccia and all the other guys that they had before that, but Right now, you look at their roster, it's Garoppolo, it's Jacoby Myers, 
you know, they just fired Mick Lombardi, who's Mike Lombardi's son, who I think has worked for Fox and several other places. He was the offensive coordinator. He was a longtime New England guy. Of course, Ziegler was a longtime New England guy. And of course, McDaniels was a longtime New England guy. So in a way, it was almost like, all right, we're not asking you to rebuild the Patriots, but if you could bring some of that winning culture here with the talent we have, it'll take us over the hump. Now they're left with what? Because Garoppolo is not a young kid and Aiden O'Connell doesn't come across as necessarily a first overall pick. And they're just good enough where they're not going to have a top five pick this season. And they're just bad enough where they're not going to make the playoffs this season. And there's no worse place in football than being in purgatory. Right. So I think they're in a tough spot here. And Devontae Adams is not getting any younger and is one of the highest paid wide receivers. And clearly when you get seven targets, one catch and 11 yards in a game where, you know, one or two plays would have would have won the thing in Detroit. You're wondering what's his future. So it is a challenge. Now you have Antonio Pierce who has been coaching. It's not like Saturday who came from the broadcast booth. He's a former player, but he has been coaching with them and he was coaching in high school and he coached at ASU before that. Um, and Champ Kelly, who's been in there as like an interim GM, but uh, this is going to be a really interesting off season for them because do you, tear it all down again do you just cut bait with jimmy g do you cut bait with all those other patriots guys or do you say all right let's try it again let's figure it out let's see what we can do and here's our new identity for the third time in three years you know this is easy for me to say as somebody that doesn't have to sell tickets or pay the bill for that very nice stadium but I, I don't know how you sell people on anything other than like a fresh, fresh start. I mean, I easier said than done to go after one of these top quarterbacks or whatever, but you need, you need like a new face on this thing, whether that's trading for an established quarterback, drafting a young one. I don't, I don't know what they do. What's interesting to me and it's water under the bridge now, but like, if this was going to happen, Mark Davis, if you're not going to let Dave Ziegler answer the phone, Answer the phone on trade deadline day and get something for Devontae while you can. I I mean, I guess they can turn around and do it in the offseason as well, but maybe you get a little bit better price from a team that's trying to win nine more games. You know, I don't know. You know who's an interesting factor in this? And I know he's a future Fox colleague, so I'm not sure if I'm dancing in dangerous waters on a Fox podcast. You know, Brady owns that WNBA team with mark davis they were almost owners of this raiders True. thing i don't know where that is like all these guys are patriots I, does did davis run this by brady did brady have any influence in it was brady not consulted because of his relationships with those guys i don't have the answers to that it's still too fresh and you know and also on the other side tom brady's going to be in the media and he's going to be doing this for fox like will he feel comfortable talking about that stuff it's a good test a good litmus test on where he's at he's got a weekly podcast with jim gray and larry fitzgerald i don't think they addressed it i don't obviously it was dated before the game on monday night i think so curious to see if he speaks in the next 72 hours on it and he'll probably say i have nothing to do with it why would i talk on it i don't know curious you you kind of do tom you kind of do yeah i mean i don't know it, like I said, it, it's interesting because like it you doesn't can, behoove him at all to talk about it. No, and for no sure. one's press and no one's pressing him to talk about it. But I'd be curious to hear his thoughts. I just you can typically look you can look at the teams that are talking about firing their coach and figure out where they go next. You know, like even, you know, not writing off Justin Fields future, but it gets easier and easier with each passing week to think a team with two top five picks is going to draft a quarterback whereas with like you like you said with the Raiders I mean you could be sitting somewhere between seven and 12 not knowing what the hell to do and not really you know the the guys that you have to build on are aging players that want to win now and don't necessarily want to wait three years totally totally and if they knew they were firing him and this passed off his draft they had the seventh overall pick do you not package a bunch of stuff move up get Bryce Young or CJ Stroud again they went with Garoppolo and it was like is any other coach other than Josh McDaniels spending money on Garoppolo? I don't know. I think that's, and look, I mean, it, it's not guaranteed to work the other way. Cause the, the Cleveland Browns tried the tear it all down and yeah. it didn't really, it didn't work remotely as well as they wanted it to. But I think sometimes you just got to be brave enough to say, this is really going to suck. But if we do our <laughs> jobs right in two years, we'll be better as opposed to like, well, we can we can sell people on Jimmy and Devante, and then six months later, here you are. I'm curious what they do, not only head coach but GM wise. Do they hire 
just another like you know up and coming guy and Ziegler was that guy and Dave is really well respected in the league and McDan or are they gonna do one of these outside the box hires where it's like here's Charles Woodson or Tim Brown and X Raider and like let's lean into the silver and black and one of those type deals because they do that in the NBA they do that in the NHL where it's like here's the X player who's gonna get involved right. or here's the legend from the team to kind of get the goodwill of the squad back. Even the Colts, you know, hiring Saturday last year as the coach, that was like really cool for Colts fans. I wonder what the next move is for the Raiders. I don't know if he's the coach. I did appreciate Tim Brown on Twitter on uh, what he said. He basically was like, look, I, I, I try not to talk about this stuff because I know that my words carry weight, but this needed to happen in so many words. And I was like, yeah. all right, well, that's how. And and the comments were all people like you saying this makes me more confident than ever than ever that this was the it's right gonna, call. It's going to happen. Yeah. All right. Real quick before I get you out of here. We, I mean, it, it was a busy deadline day. We don't have to go through everything yeah. that happened, but I, I am curious. Um if there is there a team in the NFL right now that you feel drastically better about? I thought by by the standards we hyped the deadline up by, I thought it was kind of quiet. I'm not sure if any of these moves changed the math, uh, but I'd be curious for your thoughts. Yeah, just the the Niners thing is really interesting that they would be the team that gets Chase Young. Uh, I've heard a lot of negative, uh, and I'm sure you have too about Young and you know some of the stuff in Washington that he wasn't fully engaged. I, I've also heard that the dude is an absolute beast and a good guy and maybe just needs the right environment to get the most out of him. He's battling injury stuff. You put him with that defensive line where he's not being asked to be a second overall pick. He just asked to do his job. I think that he might be a, he might be a wrecking shop and they might really, really uh, have taken their defensive line to another level. So I think the chase young to the 49ers is the most eye popping move. And it was a surprise. I know, uh, you know, people have varying opinions about PFF, but PFS, PFF has him charted in the top 10 in pressures this year. He's been good this year. And yeah, I mean, he's he's been, coming he's off been the who they thought he would be this year. Uh, he was a defensive and, uh, rookie of the year a couple of years ago and a second yeah. overall pick. The talent is no question. And you put him there. He doesn't have to do it all. He didn't have to do it all there in Washington. But the wor- the whispers you would hear, and a lot of it's local media stuff, like, does he love the sport? Is he coachable? Well, Chris Kosarek is one of the best defensive line coaches in the game. Like, I think they're going to get a different version of him. I do love the timing of Kyle Shanahan saying, like, we have what we need in the building. And then they, yeah. <laughs> then he met with John Lynch and he was like, well, if our quarterback's cap hit is 800,000, then why, why should not? we have to? Yeah. Why, why the hell not? Um, is, was there anybody? I hate to say winners and losers because that stuff ages so poorly. Like I remember I was so geeked about the Eagles getting Robert Quinn last year and yeah, that was a big course. nothing burger. So I hate to say losers, but is there a surprise? In I'll terms tell you of- my surprise. Yeah. Uh, and I don't, I haven't seen it anywhere. The Broncos not trading any of those guys was a surprise to me. And I know Sean real well, and he's been super like, high energy positive all season when everyone else is tearing them down and de- and read it and like writing them off. And they were the joke of the league after 70 to 20. I, I think he likes the guys in the building, but I even thought like, all right, they'll trade Jerry Judy for a second or they'll trade Cortland Sutton. They're three and five. They think they're alive and they didn't get the value that they were thinking they would get for those guys. So they remain on the team and who knows, maybe there's a second half of the season that's better than the first. And, we're, and, and they, the fact they didn't trade off all those guys in some sort of fire sale, um, you know, leads to some good net returns. The the brutal, the uninteresting, boring truth is that I think both of those things are true. Like, yeah. I think the the Broncos are mathematically alive. They played way better football the last three weeks than they did the first month. But at the same time, I don't think they got offers know. for for those guys that was worth trading them. Well, I guess you can only do. I mean, if if you feel like you are mathematically relevant then you know i i see the the logic in not just trading guys off to get rid of them i mean if people are offering you bs prices but it is with with the number of guys that were linked to a trade whether it was judy whether it was sutlin sutton um you know selfishly from my cowboys perspective i was like seventh round pick for josie jewel yeah like, right well, like we'll take a linebacker yeah. what are we doing here but um but yeah i mean if if nobody's offering you anything to get excited about. I can, I can see the logic and maybe waiting to try to get comp picks. I also, there was like a ringer article or some other article and it was saying, um, it was the ringer, I think. And it was like, the 
NFL trading deadline was a bust. I'm like, God, like it's always been this way. There's going to be a couple of names. You're going to get a lot of rumors. And you know, last year, Christian McCaffrey was traded. This year, uh, Chase Young w- was traded. Like those are pretty big names. I don't know what everyone expects. It's not going to be a. It's not the NBA. It's not baseball. There's no fire sales because the season still hasn't even gotten going yet. We're still, you know, week eight, and there's 18 weeks. So teams think- aren't cutting bait just yet. I do. I think we got spoiled, though, because the last two years, I mean, last, last year was pretty nuts. I mean, McCaffrey happened and then even like closer to dead, like Bradley Chubb went yeah. to Miami. I'm I'm for yeah. there were, you know, and Von Miller a couple years ago, like over the last two or so years, I'd say there have been half a dozen like Pro Bowl caliber players changing. Ezra teams. Cleveland doesn't do it for you, Dave. Doesn't quite do it for me, which I, I'm not going to call it disappointing, though. I mean. By and large, like the guys that had the most amount of smoke around them got moved, you know, like the Washington yeah. defensive lineman got moved. Um, yeah, I thought maybe. the Bears were going to move uh, either Jalen Johnson or Mooney. They didn't, which again leads to they just didn't get what they thought they would get for them. You know, that's it. I do. And yeah, I wonder if uh, Montez Sweat is a hell of a player, but That's I great. wonder if, uh, you know, we saw this last year. I thought the bears giving up a two for Claypool kind of messed with the market as well, where it's like, all right, well, if chase Claypool is worth a two, we're probably, we're going to, we're going to not be giving up anything more than that for somebody else. But I I thought it was still interesting. I'm I'm not disappointed, but yeah, I guess if, if you want to say it was a little bit quieter than the, than the previous years, I, I hear you. Yeah. All right. It was fun, man. Uh, and the most important of all is, I mean, it it is fun, but I do enjoy the fact that we can move on to uh, to the next storylines. I mean, it feels like the excitement around the trade deadline turns it into like a six week yeah. thing now, and and now we can put it to bed until like February or March combine time, and on we go. Uh, yeah, on we go. We'll uh, yeah, we'll check in with you next week for the second half of the season. I do. We'll we'll wait a week, but I want to get your thoughts on, like you just said. I mean, the Broncos hanging around there. There's there's definitely going to be some some teams that we're not talking Broncos, about now that we will be later. Jets, Vikings, interesting teams. Everyone thought we're going to be selling off parts. Held uh, held their cards pretty close to the table yesterday. Always, uh, yeah, always a new. Story I think I botched that and, metaphor, and I hope that's okay. And they held their yeah. cards close to the table. I think it's close to the vest, right? It's. Yeah, close to the vest, close to the chest, but that's the beauty of a podcast. It can be yeah. it can be whatever. Yeah. Peter, yeah. as always, we appreciate the time. I'll talk to you next week, man. Thanks, guys. A triple firing in Vegas is going to take precedence, but I do think we need to dive a little bit deeper into the trade deadline, especially now that we've had a chance for the dust to settle. Some of these guys have given press conferences in their new cities. We've had a little bit more time to get the details and digest the news. So I want to go through at least the, the big stuff, the big moves of the year. So we'll, we'll we'll call it the top five, the most impactful trades that happened in and around the deadline. I think we do start with Chase Young going to San Francisco. We talked about it with Peter already, but it's worth reiterating. I just think of the moves that have the chance to really change the calculus of the playoff race, this is the one for me, just because it's the best player with the most upside going to the best team. Chase Young, a, a ballyhooed draft prospect, a guy who was in the Heisman conversation at Ohio State. That's how highly people thought of him. And I know there are plenty of critics of this trade that say, yeah, but he hasn't delivered on that. It's true, but that's mostly injury-related. And so far this season, he's been fairly healthy. He hasn't missed a game since the season opener. He's got five sacks on the year. Like I said to Peter, he's top 10 in the NFL in pressures so far this season. He is playing like the guy that a lot of people thought he would be. If he was going somewhere with a lesser pass rush, I might not be as juiced about this, but from one great front to the other, he's going across the country to San Francisco where his old college teammate Nick Bosa can help him out. Friend of the show, Javon Hargrave is there. Arik Armstead, a perennially underrated uh, defensive tackle in this league. And then some really solid role players like Cleveland Farrell and Randy Gregory as well. I just think this is set up to not only benefit Chase Young because he is in a contract year, but really help the Niners fix their their defensive woes. Lagging in the pass rush, not as many sacks as you would prefer. I don't know how much this is going to change that. 
I'm not saying Chase Young's suddenly going to blow up for 15-plus sacks, but it's another guy that you have to account for, another guy that makes it harder to to take Nick Bosa out of the game or attempt to anyway. And yeah, I really do think this does have the potential to help the 49ers get out of their defensive malaise. So if you're looking for one that makes the biggest impact, I really do think that's it. And I am curious to see the 49ers have a lot of flexibility because of Brock Purdy's cheap contract, his contract or lack thereof. They could afford to sign Chase Young if they wanted to, most likely. Not to say that they will. Maybe this is a rental. Maybe his long-term health, the issues with his knee, does scare the 49ers off. Maybe he'll be able to hit free agency. But a third-round pick for a team that expects to be picking late is a small price to pay for a guy that can really juice your pass rush not that they really needed the juice. Like, I trust the guys that were already there to pick up their game as the season goes, but it gets a little bit easier with the guy of that caliber. I really like that deal. The other ones I think are worth mentioning didn't actually happen on deadline day. We've talked plenty about Kevin Byard going to the Eagles, the, the Titans, all pro, the veteran who's actually from the Philadelphia area. He's actually already played a game for the Eagles. He suited up against the commanders. Ironically, not Kevin Byard's fault. He just got there. I don't even know how many of the plays, how much of the scheme he knows. Eagles defense did look a little bit leaky against that Washington passing attack, but I still think this is the guy, a guy that has the potential to really limit the explosive plays that have been happening in the Philly secondary. Reed Blankenship, a guy showing a lot of promise. You pair those guys together. I feel good about that. I don't know if it changes exactly how good the Eagles defense is. I don't know if if one player is going to fix that, especially if you're not generating pass rush. But yeah, I do feel good about Kevin Byard shoring up some of the problems there. One more that I wanted to talk to before we bring on a very special guest. Day before the Chase Young trade, the Seahawks do acquire Leonard Williams. Spent a two and a five to get him out to Seattle from the New York Giants. Not saying he's not worth it in the sense that, I mean, he is a very good player, even though he's not the type of player whose stats show up in box scores. Like, you actually have to watch the games to truly appreciate a guy like Leonard Williams. He's not going to have multi-sack games on a regular basis. He's not going to blow up quarterbacks. But the dirty stuff that he does is incredibly valuable in addition to generating pass rush. I just wonder, did the Seahawks know that they could have gotten Montez Sweat or Chase Young for a similar price? Edge rush has been a problem for them, especially with Echenna Nuosu going on injured reserve this year. I wonder if they inquired into those. Did they decide Leonard Williams did more for them? Maybe his impact on the inside makes life easier on their edge rushers. I don't know, but it is a steep price to pay and more money to pay. Leonard Williams is, is a more veteran player than the other two. I wonder who's going to come out of that looking better. Right now, I feel like considering the cost and and the ability to disrupt of Chase Young. I feel like I would have rather have done that deal if I were the Seattle Seahawks, but the beauty of this is we won't know until the end of the season or maybe even further than that, depending on how long these guys stay with their new teams. But I'm watching the Leonard Williams situation. Obviously, I'm watching this Seattle 49ers rivalry. They haven't had a chance to play either of their games yet. It's going to be fun to see those two defensive fronts try to get after their uh, respective offenses. Seattle technically on top of the division right now. Which trade helps those two teams the most as we move forward? It'll be fun to see. That wraps it up for the trades I want to get to everywhere else. But funnily enough, most of the action on trade deadline day happened in one division, and that was the NFC North. So with that in mind, why not talk to an expert our own Fox Sports NFC North writer, Carmen Vitale. She covers these teams. She knows them better than anybody. I'm. It was a busy day for her. Clearly, all four teams in the division getting involved in the trade deadline action. I caught up with Carmen to see what the heck's going on up there. Check it out. All right, Carmen. Plenty of trade madness in your wacky division this week and i don't why think is it always my division I, why? I i think it's always your division because there's four well all right three pretty mediocre teams and one one good team that's not used to being good maybe and maybe that's why they did what they did we'll get to the lions i'm not just saying this because i'm wearing purple today i want to start with the minnesota vikings mainly because, unfortunately, of the the terrible break that they've suffered, losing Kirk Cousins for the season, 
Should have seen this coming, but I'll readily admit I didn't. They trade for Josh Dobbs. So, okay, I mean, Josh Dobbs has been playing well in Arizona, but the Cardinals are still 1-7. and seven. Is, is this an attempt to keep the season afloat, or are they just looking for passable quarterback play for the time being? I have to think the Minnesota Vikings are just trying to get through this season now. Kirk Cousins had the second most passing yards of any quarterback before he went down on Sunday. And that is important to having good quarterback play is wouldn't you know it important to winning games. It it sucks because the Minnesota Vikings seem to be trending upward. The defense is finally getting a hold of Brian Flores' system, and they are creating extra opportunities for the offense, which has in turn led to Kirk's insane stats, even without Justin Jefferson, which has been extremely uh, impressive. But now you are bringing in a brand new quarterback halfway through the season and trying to let him get up to speed and get, get chemistry with guys that he has not thrown to before. But Josh Jobs did it for a half a season in Arizona. Maybe he can make some magic happen in Minnesota, too. You know, I don't think we can completely rule it out. And obviously, I'm not buying the Vikings as division winners. But Josh Dobbs plays as well or better than he did in Arizona. Justin Jefferson's on his way back from injured reserve. I at least think this team can be feisty. But what I want to talk about really more than what they do over the next nine games is what happens now? Kirk Cousins underwent surgery. I saw the you know the viral photo from the hospital. Josh Dobbs, they trade for him, but he's only under contract for this year. And I don't, you know, no offense to Jaron Hall, the rookie from BYU, but I don't think anybody views him as some sort of long-term answer at quarterback, at least not right now. So what what do you think happens with the Vikings at quarterback? I mean, it's hard to believe, but Kirk has already been there for a long time. What does the future look like at that position in Minnesota? Well, getting Josh Jobs was absolutely for peanuts, mind you. I mean, it was a pick swab of a conditional pick that could actually end up being in the same round as the pick they gave up, the six for seven. Um, I think this allows you to kind of still explore your options and still kind of figure it out the rest of the season to see what you do want to do come 2024. I think you can still see what you have in Jaron Hall. If you have anything at all in the fifth round rookie, he didn't look so good coming in in relief of Kirk Cousins when Kirk Cousins tore his ACL or his Achilles. But uh, that was obviously thrown into a, a crazy situation that he wasn't expecting to be. Uh, he wasn't even supposed to be the backup quarterback. Nick Mullins is on IR and will be on IR for one more game. He's on the same timetable as Justin Jefferson. So that's why they had to make a decision right now. But I think Josh Jobs, you didn't give up a whole lot to get him. He can get you through the season while you still kind of keep your options open. But I'm also not ruling out them taking Kirk Cousins back. Kevin O'Connell loves Kirk Cousins and Kirk Cousins loves Kirk, Kevin O'Connell. Kevin O'Connell has equipped Kirk Cousins and empowered Kirk Cousins in a way that we haven't seen. And you, it's evident over these last two years, you just got to go look at Kirk Cousins stats. So I don't think that this is necessarily the end between Minnesota and Kirk Cousins, especially because he's going to be on the wrong side of 35 coming off one of the worst injuries you can possibly have in an Achilles tear. And maybe you can get him for a discount. If he can rehab and if he can come back to being the guy that they saw out of him these last couple of seasons, I, I don't. I, I think that they would do it, and I think that maybe the Minnesota Vikings still have Kirk Cousins because how, what, where are they going to end up at the end of this year that's going to get them a high enough draft spot to actually go out and get another quarterback? Yeah, that's that's the big thing for me. Is we were joking about this before we hopped on the air. Like even at four and four, the Vikings might have played their way out of the big time quarterback prospects. I mean, it it looks like a great draft for quarterbacks. Don't get me wrong. If they really want one, I'm sure they can find one. But if you're talking about Caleb Williams or Drake May, if you're talking about somebody that's going to go in the top five, four wins at the midpoint of the season already might be too many. So I, I agree with you. Now you find yourself looking in a situation of, well, if we can't do that, what is the next best alternative? And maybe Kirk Cousins isn't a long, long-term fix. I mean, ironically, the Vikings have never signed him to a super long deal anyway. And I wonder, 
between his age and the status with his injury, maybe this could be a situation where both sides agree on not a not a market setting deal, not like a five year deal, but something that allows him to keep playing there. Because I'm with you. If people didn't realize it before, I think the San Francisco game opened their eyes. Like Kirk Cousins is playing some of the best football of his career right now, or was unfortunately. And again, that's something that Kevin O'Connell has empowered him to do. What was really impressive to me about Kirk Cousins over the last few games in particular was the trust that he ended up placing in Jordan Addison after Justin Jefferson went down. Justin Jefferson is the reigning offensive player of the year, and it took Kirk Cousins a little while to trust him. And Kevin O'Connell was the one that kind of pushed that relationship forward and said, hey, listen, I don't care if Justin's open. I don't care if he's got two guys on him. Throw it to him. He's that good of a player that he can make those plays. And as soon as Kirk started to do that, you saw this offense really take off. And it's something that you you apparently can teach old dogs new tricks. Although I hate calling Kirk Cousins old because he's my age. But the fact that he learned from that experience and now was was immediately trusting Jordan Addison, a rookie, to take on that uh, uh, expanded role in this offense was so encouraging to the point where I was like, oh gosh, like when Justin Jefferson comes back, Kirk now has two really good weapons that he is on the same page with, that he trusts implicitly. And then, oh yeah, he's got TJ Hawkinson in there too. So it was Really unfortunate timing, but Kirk was still learning and still getting better, which is you have to think is encouraging for the Minnesota Vikings, especially if you can get him at a discount after this season and he comes back. Yeah, I think I'm just I would just like to see. I never thought I'd hear myself say this. I think I'd like to see Kirk back in Minnesota, preferably on a I'm not trying to like take money out of his pockets, but like I said, maybe not a deal that like sets the market similar to another quarterback we can get to Jared Goff like if they could get him on a on a deal similar to Goff where you're a little bit down in the financial hierarchy that would be a lot of fun in my opinion all right let's keep it moving in the NFC North cuz we do have to get to all four of these teams a team mm-hmm. a team that's near and dear to your heart near and dear to you uh geographically the Chicago Bears made the first big splash. They traded a second round pick to the Washington Commanders for Montez Sweat. Now, it makes it checks all the boxes. Like the Bears need pass rush. Montez Sweat has as many sacks as their entire defensive line put together. They need more, a- in fact. <laughs> oh my oh, that's bleak. Yeah. That's bleak. No, no. It makes sense to use a premium pick on the position. I get that. But what came across my mind when this happened was, okay, they're going to trade for him and they're going to extend him. It happened with Bradley Chubb last year. You know, he's he's traded from Denver to Miami, and just like that, he's got a new deal. But then on Wednesday, Montez Sweat is like, uh, I'm going to get the lay of the land and see how I feel about the Chicago Bears before I sign anything. And Carmen, that has to be terrifying if you're a Chicago Bears fan to hear that the guy you just gave up a two for might only be around for a few games. What will end up being a very high two, by the way, which, oh, they also did that last year. And look how that worked out with Chase Claypool. <laughs> the fact that they went for this again, I, I honestly, I got to respect it. I got to respect the Chicago Bears for not getting gun shy after the debacle that was Chase Claypool. You giving up the 32nd overall pick for him. And then he doesn't even play a season, a full season for you. Um, I, this is terrifying because Montez Sweat, the reason you gave up that second round pick for Montez Sweat to trade for him at this point is the exclusivity to then negotiate with him to get him signed to a long-term deal at market value rather than waiting for free agency and then having to outbid every other team for these elite pass rushers. Chicago... Chicago knows it's very self-aware of them. Chicago knows that they're not going to easily woo free agents. Chicago is not a warm and sunny climate. Chicago has a state income tax. There's not generational talent on the Chicago bears that can woo other free agents to come and play there. They knew that they needed to make a move in order to have a shot at one of these elite pass rushers at market value and not have to overpay for them. But to hear Montez Sweat say, yeah, I'm not, I'm not totally sold about staying here. That's terrifying. 
they can use the franchise tag on him, but at the same time, Jalen Johnson didn't get moved either. Their star cornerback who requested a trade a couple days ago and was granted permission to seek one. He didn't get one before the trade deadline, but now the Bears say they're still open to doing a deal with him. He's also a candidate for that franchise tag. So you're going to have some really crazy decisions if you don't get Montez Sweat under contract for at least the next few years. And if you let Montez Sweat walk after nine games, that is is arguably worse than anything that happened with Chase Claypool last this season and last. Yeah, that's and and I'm glad you brought it up. Of course, the the Bears can use the franchise tag on Montez Sweat, but if you're if you're gonna use the two, which like you said could very likely be a top forty pick, wouldn't you rather do that comfortable in the knowledge that that's not even gonna be a thing? You might need it for Jalen Johnson or. Or even even if you don't needed to use it on Jalen Johnson, maybe you just you don't want to be in a situation where you're in a contract dispute with a guy you just traded for, and that's what the tag is for. At the end of the day, is keeping right. you from losing a contract dispute. Yeah, I I really have no other no other thoughts on this other than I w- like there should have been conversations about this prior to making that trade. Uh, and you had to have gone into it with a reasonable confidence that this was going to happen and that Montez Sweat was going to be a bear for more than nine games. Uh, I even said, I went so far as to say that trading for Montez Sweat was a vote of confidence in Matt Eberflus because you were looking to get a pass rusher for multiple years, and the last thing you want to do is pull the rug out from underneath him. And now... If Montez Sweat is taking stock and he's sitting back and he's evaluating exactly if he wants to be in Chicago and a part of this organization, now you really don't want to pull the rug out from underneath him and make him deal with all this turmoil and another rebuild. He's been part of enough rebuilding in Washington. This guy wants to be somewhere stable. So now it's 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 an incredibly precarious situation is the best that I can describe it because it has the opportunity again to go horribly wrong for the Chicago bears. Hopefully that's not the case. Cause I just, I don't know if bears fans can take, I don't kiss, think so. Kissing I, a second round pick goodbye for the two years in a row. Okay. Okay. Bye. So, I mean, look, it, if you're looking for optimism, none of this is decided. There's nine games to play. Maybe Montez right. Sweat will love it in Chicago, but... Maybe he'll make a huge difference, too. Maybe, maybe he will. him and Unique Ngakwe will tear up the NFC North and, and, and play really well together and force them off opposing offensive lines to make some crazy decisions, but we'll see. We will see, and until then, I will have a little bit of anxiety about how well that's all going to work. All right. Not as... The other one, the other moves that happened in the division, in my mind, aren't as big, but it did. It raised an eyebrow for me to see the Green Bay Packers ship off Rasul Douglas, fan favorite with the Packers. Seems like a team favorite, you know. Just looking yeah. around the locker room, watching the the sound coming from the Green Bay locker room, it seemed like a lot of guys were caught off guard and surprised. Were you? And what do you think the overall rationale was here? I was absolutely surprised that the Green Bay Packers shipped off Rasul Douglas because he was not only one of your best corners, he was a leader in the locker room. I mean, this was a guy that the players went to for advice, and he quickly climbed up the ranks on that defensive side of the ball uh, in just a couple of seasons, becoming a go-to guy. And listen, he split a lot of reps on top receivers with Jair Alexander, especially because Jair had some injury issues already this season. Rasul Douglas has carried them through, and this isn't a very good defense right now. I would have thought they needed every everybody that they had and all the help that they could get because this they're still underperforming for all the talent that the Green Bay Packers have on that side of the ball. So to ship off one of your best assets, um, granted they got a third round pick, but it was a pick swap. So you just moved up, you know, 50 to 60 spots maybe uh, in the draft. But listen, I, I, I don't really have a rationale for that because I just think that Rasul Douglas is better than whatever you're going to get, even in the third round of the NFL draft. So okay, I, it, see, was, it was it was surprising. That's where I disagree. And I mean, full disclosure, you know, I'm a massive draft nerd and right. I can't help but notice now the Green Bay Packers have five picks in the top 100. And iro- ironically, 
I didn't know this before the deal, but I've educated myself. The Packers have not been great with their third round picks in recent I was, memory. I was just going to bring that up. Okay. But even, st- hey, you, I mean, you can't win if you don't play the game. If you roll the dice enough times, you're going to find somebody good. And if you tell me, if I'm Brian Gutekunst and we're three games below 500 and the Lions already beat the crap out of us once and Bill, and the Buffalo Bills are desperate enough to offer me a three for Rasul Douglas, I say, all right, I can make some hay with five top 100 picks. I feel, I feel a okay about it. And honestly, I appreciate the Packers self-awareness that they're in a position where this makes sense for them. I do appreciate that aspect of it because I think that they always went into this year thinking it was going to be a rebuilding year an up and down year. You were obviously having to get an evaluation on Jordan love to see if he's your dude. And you did in fact do it again. <laughs> And uh, as far as your quarterback development system goes, but I just, again, I think that we're undervaluing what Rasul Douglas, a, how good he is on the field. He's a great corner. I think he gets overshadowed a lot on the national scale because he is paired with Jair Alexander, who is, att- is attention grabbing and headline grabbing in more ways than one. But not only is Rasul good on the field, he was great for that locker room and pulling a guy like that out just really hurts any sort of progress or improvement. And of all of the units on this team, the defense should be the one that has the least to go because they have so much talent on that side. So I guess, you know, someone else is just going to have to step up in Rasul's place as far as that leadership role goes and that mentor role goes and the guy, you know, that everybody goes to to for advice goes. But I, I still, I still was surprised I get the fact that, you know, you're banking on yourself here that you're going to be able to make up for that loss in the draft with all of the capital you now have, but it's still, it's still stung. It's stung Green Bay Packers fans. It's stung the Green Bay Packers locker room. And I think they can all take comfort though in knowing that Rasul Douglas has now gone to a contender. Yeah, he will. I think he's got a better shot at a Super Bowl in Buffalo this year than Green Bay, but look, he's a good player. Give me the picks, baby. Give me, give me the picks. Cause until you're the opposite of Sean McVay, you're just like, no, give me the picks. Unless you're like, until until proven otherwise, all five of those guys are going to the pro bowl. That's my attitude. If I'm a green Bay Packers (laughs) fan, that's what I'm thinking. All right. Two smaller ones. Apologies to the Vikings. I did. I did forget. They did something else on deadline day. They traded offensive and you're, line. Like when I'm wearing a thick six t-shirt too, you're just going to gloss right over the offensive line, aren't you? Yeah, I know how much you like the offensive line. And look, I mean, I think this is a great deal. The Vikings trade Ezra Cleveland uh, to Jacksonville for a sixth round pick. I think it's a great deal for Jacksonville. They needed the help on the O-line. But as far as Minnesota goes, this just feels like getting rid of a guy that you weren't going to extend. Like I think it, it just makes sense for Minnesota to get rid of a guy that wasn't in their long-term plans. It certainly seems that way that Ezra Cleveland was not going to be resigned by the Minnesota Vikings. And I get that Questia Dofubensa, their general manager, wasn't the guy that drafted him. But I thought that Ezra Cleveland, and I still think that Ezra Cleveland is one of the most underrated guards in the league. And I don't care how he was acquired. I don't understand why you don't want to hold on to that talent or why you get rid of him mid-season for the equivalent of what you would have gotten had he left in free agency in a comp pick. That's where I'm really kind of confused because I know that they signed Dalton Reisner and Ezra Cleveland has missed the last two games with a foot injury. Dalton has come in seamlessly filled in for him. He's done a really good job, but then I don't know why you, you get rid of the depth that you then have by trading away Ezra Cleveland or I mean, I hate to say it because he's one of your, he's one of your sons, Dave, he's an LSU tiger Ed Ingram has not been the guy that they drafted him to be yet on the right side at that right guard position. You didn't have to slander I, Ed Ingram today, but you chose to. I, I, I'm not trying to slander him because I'm not convinced that he can't get better. But as of right now, if you want to field your best five on the offensive line, Ezra Cleveland was absolutely part of that. And especially on that left side where you have Christian Derisaw, you have, you had Ezra Cleveland and then you had Garrett Bradbury at center. That left side was locked up for the Minnesota Vikings and oh by the way that's the blind side so you want to keep continuity there where you can and then maybe put Dalton Reisner in for Ed Ingram but I get that if you weren't going to extend Ezra Cleveland and you were going to have to pay him 
I guess this makes sense, but you're going to have to pay Dalton Reisner too, because he's only on a one-year deal. Ed Ingram is still under team control. And I think that that was probably how, what, what this all came down to was the fact that instead of paying both Dalton Reisner and Ezra Cleveland, that you only have to pay one of them now. But I think it really made your offensive line a lot worse. Yeah, I, I want. If you're I'm Minnesota, not, I'm not under any illusion that Ed Ingram has played up to his draft slot, but he's on a rookie contract for more time than Ezra Cleveland. I think that I think it's as easy as that. And when you remember that that Quasi and and the Vikings front office drafted Ingram and not Cleveland, it this is the politics and just the brutal reality of the NFL. They felt. I'm just trying to get justice for the big men, Dave. That's all I want. I, I just you. want these guys to be valued like they should. I hear you. I appreciate your efforts. They fell on deaf ears in Minnesota, at least right now. All right. Let's wrap this up. Honestly, one of my favorites, an under-the-radar deal, but the Detroit Lions send not even a current draft pick, but a 2025 sixth-round pick. So basically, a bag of potato chips. Uh, for Cleveland Browns wide receiver Donovan Peoples-Jones. I like it regardless, but I especially like it because he's got uh, he's a guy from Detroit, went to the University of Michigan, love a good homecoming story with uh, DPJ coming back to his hometown. We love a good homecoming story in a city that is so prideful uh, uh, as Detroit or as prideful as Detroit. I know that was bad. I'm sorry, guys. Um <laughs> But I do like this for a lot of reasons because I do think that Donovan Peoples-Jones can be a complimentary piece in this wide receiver room because he is a true outside threat. Uh, I was looking up just kind of was watching some of him and then I was looking up some of uh, his stats and most of his routes run have come out of a wide alignment. So on the outside, he's that true. He can, most of them have been go routes too. So he's been doing a lot of cardio out there. And I think that that can complement Amon Ra St. Brown, especially, and let Amon Ra be who he is. You know, he's not just a slot receiver. Please don't, please don't make any bones about that. I am not saying that Amon Ra St. Brown is just a slot receiver. He has proven time and again that he can be a number one wide receiver in this league, but he makes his bread and butter in the slot. And he can run any sort of route out of the slot. He's so good there. So I think that you can now allow Amon Ra to focus on the things that make him an elite receiver while now still having an outside threat. And then, oh yeah, this takes some of the pressure off Jamison Williams too. You still have a speedster like him that can go down the field. Uh, I really like this for Detroit, and I think it's going to make this offense even more potent with Ben Johnson in charge of it. The crazy thing, you see a trade like this, and you're like, oh, DPJ fell out of favor in Cleveland. He's only caught eight balls in seven games. They just don't like him anymore. He can't get on the field. But then you dive into it. Yep. This guy's played. That's not the case. This guy's played 82% of the snaps for the Browns this year. He's run. Yep. 170 something almost 200 routes this year he's yeah. been targeted he's been targeted 17 times he's been targeted like less than 10 percent of the time he's been on the field so clearly the browns thought enough of him to have him on the field a lot but whether it's because of the deshaun watson injury or whatever just nobody getting him the ball for the browns i have a feeling that won't be the case in Detroit. I'm not, yeah, like, I don't want to say he's just going to blow up, but I think that could be a really, a really nice complimentary piece for that receiver core. I'm excited to see what it looks like. Whew, okay, Carmen, that's, hey, you you deserve a break, my dude. That was a full couple yeah. days work. <laughs> Get some rest. Uh, there's still, yeah. there, hey, there's still the whole second half of the season to go, but we really appreciate the time. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much for having me. Anytime. All right, I think that takes care of all of the transactions. If not, I apologize. There were a lot of them, but it is actually week nine. There is actually football being played starting tonight. The Tennessee Titans heading up to Pittsburgh to take on the Steelers on Thursday night football. I feel like this is probably a game that elicits like a, ugh, or maybe this is a game that people don't want to watch. And to that, I say, are you crazy after what we just saw Will Levis do, you don't want to watch what he does for an encore. That's the big headline heading into this game. Will Levis getting start number two. Ryan Tannehill still out with an ankle injury. If you don't remember, 
If you need a reminder, Will Levis, four touchdowns Sunday in the win against Atlanta. Just the third quarterback ever to do that in his first NFL game as a rookie. Hey, what do you do for an encore? Beating the Falcons is one thing. Going up to Pittsburgh and beating a much better defense would be a whole nother story, especially on a short week, like I said, on the road. It's worth watching for that alone, just to see, hey, can this kid do it again? What's more fun than that? We've been doing the same thing with C.J. Stroud all season long. Same thing with Will Levis. It's just a little bit delayed. But what I want to see here, with all due respect to the Falcons, I think this is a much steeper challenge. And no, this isn't the Pittsburgh defenses of yore, the ones that competed for Super Bowls year after year. James Harrison, all those guys. This is still a much better defense, in my opinion, than what Levis saw the other day. Ninth in overall defensive DVOA. They generate pass rush much more effectively with the Falcons. Remember, Atlanta was trying to pry Montez Sweat out of Washington. They know they need pass rush. Pittsburgh, not such an issue there. You know, they got a little guy by the name of TJ Watt. We'll get to him. They also have a game of tape on Will Levis. I don't know exactly how much that helps, but actually being able to watch the guy will probably help given that he barely played in the preseason. Titans offensive line, 26th overall in pass block win rate. That's been the storyline with them all season. Problem uh, protecting the quarterback. Peter Skaronsky is back, and to his credit, he looked like a badass against Atlanta. He looked like the number 11 overall pick in the draft, but this is still not a good offensive line. This is a matchup that favors the Pittsburgh Steelers. Right tackle Chris Hubbard is out for Tennessee with a concussion. Now, Nicholas petit Frere was supposed to be the starter at right tackle before he was suspended for gambling, so they do have bodies to fill that void, but I still think Tennessee's offensive line going against a much better uh, Pittsburgh front than what they saw in Atlanta is a story to watch. How well the Titans can keep Will Levis clean is the story of the game for me, or, or how much time Will Levis can buy is the story for me. The Steelers do have a penchant for giving up chunk plays 21% of the time, talking passing gains of 10, 15 yards or more, 21% of the time. So if Will Levis has time to throw, there are plays to be made against the Steelers' secondary, especially given the injury news. Who's in, who's out? Big one for Pittsburgh. Minka Fitzpatrick not going to play in this game. Injured his hamstring last week against Jacksonville. So already a leaky Pittsburgh secondary. Definitely a bigger problem with Minka Fitzpatrick not playing. Having said that, Kenny Pickett is back. There was some concern about his ribs, but he comes right out and he says, I'm playing for sure. And then the big news, going back to what I said about the Titans offensive line, Cameron Hayward is back. Injured his groin all the way back in the season opener. It always feels like it's going to be an eternity when guys like that are out for multiple months. Here we are. Just now Halloween, we're just now in November, and he's back at practice. It looks like he's going to play in this game. Already a favorable matchup when you have TJ Watt, but a guy of Cam Hayward's ability in the middle there, making matchups more favorable on people like TJ Watt, yes, I think that is a big advantage for the Steelers. Over on the other side, DeAndre Hopkins, probably the biggest availability question for Tennessee. He showed up on the injury report Wednesday with a toe. I'm just going to guess that he plays. I don't know. He's he's a decade-long veteran in the NFL. He doesn't miss time if he can help it. I think DeAndre Hopkins plays. It is interesting to note, Titans cornerback Roger McCreary out for this game. Only thing the Steelers do well on offense to this point is find George Pickens for big gains. So I think that is something to keep in mind. Roger McCreary out. I already alluded to it. You already know it. The matchup to watch for me We talked about this on Monday with Max Crosby and Las Vegas. I think TJ Watt has the potential to swing this game all on his own. I mean, it doesn't hurt that he's got Alex Highsmith and now Cameron Hayward, but a guy of TJ Watt's caliber having the season that he's having. He's the only player in the league this season with eight or more sacks, 20 or more pressures, and an interception. He's one of the only players in the league this season that has eight plus sacks. 20 pressures and two forced fumbles. Miles Garrett and TJ Watt are basically in a in a 
wrestling match for defensive player of the year. Certainly the front runners through the first half of the season, in my mind, eight and a half sacks on the year. I can just, I can just read these stats. They're all incredible. Third in the league in quarterback hits. 22 individual pressures on the year. He's scored defensive touchdowns. His his interception against the Rams a couple weeks ago swung that game, scored a touchdown against the Browns that helped prove the difference. This is a guy who, even if you try to scheme against him, TJ Watt is a guy who's good enough to help you win a game all on his own. Miles Garrett had this moment against the Indianapolis Colts a couple weeks ago. I don't know if TJ is going to do all of that, but I definitely think in front of a national audience playing against a really leaky offensive line. I think TJ Watts got the ability to really announce himself. Isn't the right word because he's already won defensive player of the year, but really take over this game and really say, Hey, yeah, I know that guy in Cleveland's really good, but I'm pretty damn good myself. So that's what I'm watching. TJ Watt is definitely that gravitational type of player that can help you win this game on his own. But Cam Hayward there next to him. Oh, by the way, Alex Highsmith. Yeah. Even without Minka Fitzpatrick, I like this Pittsburgh defense against Tennessee's offensive line enough to make that pick regardless. Then you remember night game at home in Pittsburgh. The towels are going to be waving. Yeah, I'm going to roll with Pittsburgh. I'm not saying it's going to be pretty. I bet I bet both of these teams will struggle to score 20 points. Remember, Mike Vrabel loves to be the underdog in these types of situations, but Give me, give me Pittsburgh to win a smash mouth football game. I love what Will Levis did against the Falcons, but this is the NFL. It's not always going to look that gorgeous. I'll ride with Pittsburgh on Thursday night. That does it for the show, but don't you worry. We've got plenty of coverage coming up on Friday. Do you even realize how big week nine is in the NFL? We got Dolphins Chiefs in Germany. We got a Bills Bengals Sunday night game. We got Ravens Seahawks. Oh, Yeah, we've also got Cowboys at Eagles. We are going to have so much coverage of that one, of all the games. We're going to talk to Greg Olson. We've got Moose Johnston on the show. It's going to be phenomenal. I feel like I say this every week, but I think this is going to be the best weekend of the NFL season. We will be here to help you through the whole thing. We'll see you all Friday. Please go find us on Spotify. Go find us on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. All of the fun ways that you get your podcasts, you get your NFL content, we would appreciate it. I'm Dave, and I can't wait to talk week nine with y'all.